play Chicago, I, I, I wanted to beat them senseless. CCR number 92, December 30th, 2009. This edition of Cat Grave Radio is brought to you by the Panthers Outlaw Forum, the place for uncensored, no hold barred Carolina Panthers discussion. If you're ready for an honest discussion of your Carolina Panthers, visit the Panthers Outlaw Forum at sillyangel.proboards.com. D'Angelo Williams, 30, 25, 10, 5, hot stop! 89's in the building. Still on a mission, though. Still on a mission. Welcome to the show created and produced by fans for the fans of the Carolina Panthers. This is Cat Crave Radio. Coming up in this episode, the season is nearly over. We'll look ahead to the offseason with Rock Hill Herald beat writer Darren Gant. Nick Yeoman is back to provide the fans' perspective. And we have a recap of the victory over the Giants. A 38-yard field goal attempt from the right hash. Casey staring at the spot. Baker puts it right there. The kick is away, end over end, and it is good. Barnage the motion man, and it's Stewart. Up the middle, off the Hoover block. He's got a crease there. He's to the 20, cuts to the right, 10-5. Touchdown, Carolina Pants. Four in the gun. Takes a look left and right pre-snap. Now he has the snap. Good one from Khalil. Four lost a pass right side. Musain Muhammad makes the catch. Touchdown, Carolina. Tight line splits. No wides. Everybody all wadded up. Play action fake. More looking end zone. Underthrows King, but he makes a diving grab. The official signal. Touchdown. Absolutely. Carolina. High backs. Tight line splits. Play action fake. Matt Moore to throw. Throws it over the middle. Steve Smith catches it. Bounces off a giant and scores. Middle of the field. Wow. Lawrence Times will try a 40-yard field goal to get the Giants on the board. Snap is good. Kick on its way. End over end. And it is... Good. Baker on one knee at the 17. Looks back at Casey to make sure Casey's ready. Snap. Spot. Kick is airborne, and he's got it. Let's on. Pick it up. Manning throws one right corner of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown. Steve Smith. Barnage in motion. And it's Stewart. Stewart up inside. Stewart running free. 40-yard line. 35. Taking people with him. He's to the 20. May score. 15. 10, 5, oh, oh no, they mark him at the 1. <laughs> Carolina from the 1-yard line. Stewart gives to Hoover. Hoover over left guard, left tackle. He's in. Touchdown. As the final score, Carolina 41 and the Giants 9. Now, buckle your chin straps because it's time for kickoff. Here is your host for CCR, John White. For the second straight week, the Carolina Panthers pulled off an upset. Welcome to another edition of Cat Crave Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your day. You know, either that was one of the finest performances we've ever seen from this team, or one of the worst anyone has ever seen from the New York football giants. The star in this one was Jonathan Stewart, who hung 206 yards, a single-game franchise record, on the G-Men on 28 carries with a touchdown. His performance gives him over 1,000 yards on the season, meaning the Panthers will end the year with two running backs to top the mark. Matt Moore was solid once again, hitting on 15 of 20 passes for 171 yards and three scores with no interceptions. The defense was outstanding, holding New York to 60 yards on the ground and forcing two Eli Manning interceptions and recovering two of the four fumbles they forced. This unit has really come on late in the year. 
Speculation has been that the seat John Fox was sitting on was getting hotter by the minute. However, the players want him to stay, and it seems that they're playing that way. Well, news broke this week that the team could be willing to allow Fox to remain the head coach while Marty Herney continues his run as general manager for next season. So, after this win, how are the fans feeling? Hello. 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 Who's that? Who's that? It's time for Panthers fans to sound off. Cad Cray Radio, K7 Roger here. Man, what would have happened if John Fox would have made the quarterback change after game number two? Where would this team be right now? Could we have won 10 games to be in the playoffs? We'll never know because John didn't make that change. Isn't that wonderful? Good job, Stu, for getting your 200 yards and 1,000 yards on the season. That makes we have two 1,000-yard rushers and we're not in the playoffs. Good job, John Fox. Wow, top 10 defense, too. No playoffs. Good job, John Fox. Offensive line played good. That new guy, Schwartz. Awesome. All right, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. K7 Roger, thanks again for the call and thanks for listening. I don't know, but something gives me the feeling you aren't going to be one of the happy fans to hear that Fox just might be staying. If you want to make your feelings on the team public, give us a shout on the CCR hotline at 206-350-9673. The lines are always open 24 hours a day. Do you like John Fox? Do you hate John Fox? Either way, If you're a fan of the Carolina Panthers, call us up and leave us a message. We'll let the world hear your thoughts. That number is 206-350-9673. The win lifts the Panthers to 7-8 on the year, so can they end the season at 500 and avoid a losing record? If they do, it's going to mean that they have to win a home game versus the NFC's number one seed, the New Orleans Saints. Man, it's awesome. You know, he got uh, another offensive line. You got to credit them. Uh, they did a great job. But, you know, the, the guy just runs angry, you know, and you can't bring him down. And you think he's going down. And he's, and, you know, he goes for another 15, and he's awesome. You know, it's a, works hard, um, smart guy, and, and just I'm happy for him. He's doing well. It's time once again for the Panther preview. Well, Jonathan Stewart was a beast. And, uh, you know, Maddie had a few nice things to say about him. You know, what can you say? Uh, an Oregon guy and an Oregon State guy. They used to be rivals. Not anymore. But uh, what a game. A big win over the Giants. Joining us now for the Panther Preview, it is Mr. Nick Yeoman. What's up, Yeoman? Oh, what's going on, John? How about those Panthers coming through when it really doesn't matter? It looks like they're going to be one of those teams that's going to be a thorn in some opponent's uh, sides down the stretch. But, hey, that was a great win over the Giants. Well, we've got the big, you know, West Coast thing, um, the Pac-10. You've got a, a major Utah connection going on anyway. We've got two Oregon guys, one pressed into service uh, at tackle, one starting at running back. You got an Oregon State guy at quarterback. Wow, you know, what's up with that? Well, yeah, and, and you got a USC guy at center and Ryan Khalil, and we're, we're still kind of waiting on that other USC guy, Dwayne Jarrett, to come around. But, yeah, I don't know what it is. I think a lot of a lot of people have uh, hold the SEC in high regards, but out west there in the Pac-10, the Mountain West, and the WAC, they got some good football uh, players coming out of those conferences. Well, before we start, and we are now on 
well, we're we're sort of on the edge of, and, and I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself talking about next week, but there's a chance that this team winds up with an even 500 record. I want to go back to just before the season started, and this was a segment from uh, from Mike Minner. We were doing the interview, and when I asked him what he thought about the season and how he thought it would go, this is what he said. We got a very, very difficult schedule, okay? Very difficult. Um, and right now, what I saw in preseason, I didn't like what I saw in preseason. Um, if we play like that, we're an 8-8 eight eight football team with the schedule that we have. Okay, now Nick, pretty prophetic words from Mike Minner there. I mean, he was, you know, of course the schedule was going to be tough. We knew that. Lots of great teams scattered all through the schedule. And then you've got a team that wasn't playing so well at the time in the preseason. I mean, what what should we should we be like Mike Minter the Sage? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. You want to call him Nostradamus Minter? I don't know. That's that was a pretty accurate prediction, and and yeah, it looks like that's probably going to come true. And I, I think Mike was probably he was dead on when he thought you know you look at the injury situations in the preseason and the way this team for some reason can't put together back to back winning seasons. I don't know what it is, uh, but yeah, it looks like that was a, a pretty smart prediction, and, and it looks like what this team's probably going to end up right there around five hundred. Well, as long as it's not one of those stinking seven and nine seasons that we've had so many times. But speaking of of problems, and you mentioned injuries, one more. I mean, we've got the rules and regulations being established against Minnesota. You know, eighty nine. Those are the rules and regulations. Well, one more guy to go on injured reserve. I mean, wow. You know, what a way to end your season, huh? Yeah, well, it was on a touchdown catch, so that's the crazy thing. Steve, still, Steve Smith still makes the touchdown catch, bouncing off defenders. And, and it is a tough loss, but at the same time, you know, if there's ever a good time to lose somebody, and I know that's that's kind of weird to say, but if there's ever a good time to get someone injured, it would be at the end of the season in Week 16. I mean, you're not going to have them for this game against New Orleans, but at the same time, I mean, when you're not going to the playoffs, it's not going to hurt you that bad. But it is a shame, you know, I'm not really a stat guy because, you know, stats are for losers. Uh, but it is a shame that Steve Smith comes up just short of a thousand yards uh, for the season, in which you know he struggled at times and was really coming on strong at the end of the year. Yeah, and then we've got more news. The Charlotte Observer is reporting that, and these these are unnamed sources. But now this comes from Tom Sorensen, I believe he's the guy who wrote the uh, the the quick article or the quick report that was out online and in their printed version. But there is a chance now that John Fox and Marty Herney come back, and they're being given the opportunity to return for 2010. They'd be on the final year of their contracts. I mean, is this a lame duck thing? I don't, I'm not sure I get it. I guess I do, and I don't, you know? Well, I, I mean, I mean, it makes sense from a financial standpoint because, you know, it's gonna be, you're going to pay a lot of money to John Fox if, if you're trying to buy him out in this final year, and the Panthers are already, you know, in, in a financial situation that I don't think a lot of teams would like to be in with the Julius Pepper situation, with Jake DeLone getting guaranteed money, with, you know, Chris Gamble's big contract that he probably didn't deserve that much. So I can understand that that side of it, but uh, the fact that, you know what, the assistant coaches, that means Jeff Davidson's probably going to be back. I know you're just loving that, John. Oh, yeah. uh, but but for Foxy, my, my point is, and the, the big question that I have is, where is his motivation going to be next year? I mean, is he going to be motivated because he knows that, you know, he's got to do a great job in one year to either 
get an extension from the Panthers or assure himself up to get another job somewhere else. Or it could be a lame duck situation where where's the motivation? I mean, there's no reason to come back because the team doesn't have any faith in you. And uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, but, you know, keeping Marty Herney kind of surprised by that as well uh, for another year because I think if you bring in a new general manager, let him, uh, you know, be a general manager for one year with Fox as head coach and he can start to make a plan for the future while as Herney, you know he's going to be sticking by John Fox's side uh, through thick and thin. So it's going to be interesting and, and uh, really some surprising news coming out of Charlotte the other day. Yeah, and I agree with you about, as much as I dislike the idea, but I agree that Davidson is back. I don't mind that Ron Meeks is back so much, but you really can't hire any anybody to come in as an assistant at any position, whether it's a coordinator position or a position coach, because you're you know you're a lame duck and they don't have any job security, so I agree that that's probably going to happen. It's unfortunate, but that's how it is. Uh, Jonathan Stewart, good lord! I mean, two hundred and six yards, uh, a franchise record, hits the one thousand yard mark. I gotta know. I mean, how can a team have two one thousand yard rushers and still not make the playoffs? What's up with that? Well, I, I have I have no idea how that happens. I really don't because watching these two guys, the way they've been running, they've been running hard every single game all season long. I think a lot of it has to do with quarterback play by Jake DeLome. I mean, he was hard, he was hurting everybody on the entire team with some of the mistakes he was making. And then also, you know what, the offensive line, I don't think this has gotten talked about, but those five guys that came back from a year ago, you know, they didn't have a lot of motivation coming into the year. They knew their spots were saved. And, you know, once a couple guys go down, and Jeff Schwartz and Mackenzie Bernardo get an opportunity to step up. They really want it, and they are blocking uh, like the beast they are up front. So the running backs have been fantastic, and and it's gonna it's gonna pre- present an interesting predicament later on with you know when these guys' contracts are up, Stewart or Williams. You know what do you do going long term? Because running backs they don't stay in the league very long, and you've got a couple guys behind them. Tyrell Sutton's been a surprise. Uh, you've got Mike Goodson, who I know they have a lot of faith in. A couple years from now, he could be a good running back. So it's going to be interesting to see how much longer the Panthers can keep uh, the double trouble combination in their backfield. Uh, but boy, both of them getting it done this year, both over a thousand yards. It's pretty darn impressive. Well, we'll go a little out of order this week since we're talking about Jonathan Stewart, and we'll let you uh, grade the offense. Well, I think the offense has to get an A. Jonathan Stewart, you know, monster numbers. Matt Moore was efficient once again. The offensive line looked great. You know, the wide receiver play. I mean, you got both wide receivers with a touchdown catch in Moose and Smitty. Jeff King made a tremendous touchdown catch. I mean, heck, Brad Hoover was getting into the end zone. Uh, The offense, a great performance, best of the season, and I think they deserve an A. And let's grade the defense. Well, and for the second straight week, we're going to give A's to both the offense and the defense. I think the D deserves it. Uh, you know, shaky start right at the beginning. If that penalty doesn't come back and, and, and turn the touchdown around, who knows where this game goes because I think the Giants were a team that they're a team that plays with heart when they can feel it, when they get it rolling, and then, you know, once you punch them in the mouth once, they're going to lay down for you. And I think that's what the defense did. They make the strip. They get the football back. They force a couple more turnovers. And uh, overall, a pretty darn good performance to help the offense out i think the defense deserves an a as well well we will step aside here for just a moment coming up in a bit we'll be talking to darren gant nick and i also will be looking ahead in just a moment we'll uh, be previewing the final game of the year as the new orleans saints come marching in to charlotte cat grave radio is going on break but we'll be right back 
Hey, Jack, you got a sec? Jack, your hair's on fire. Yeah, I know. I, I just need to finish the sales report and then I'll lie down for a bit. But shouldn't I... No, I'll be fine. You wouldn't ignore this, so why ignore the signs of a stroke? If you or someone you know suddenly has trouble speaking, seeing, or walking, call 911 right away. Because time lost is brain lost. To find out more, visit www.strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE. This message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. It's time once again for the game that's sweeping the nation. It's time for Boomer Bus joining us as always to play the game. It's Nick Yeoman. Nick, are you ready to play the game, sir? I am ready to play the game, John. Let's start off with the ageless wonder, Brett Favre versus the Giants. Yeah, you know, against that Giants defense, with Matt Moore playing as well as he did against the Giants, and the Vikings really needing the win in this game, I'm going to say boom. This whole Brad Childress thing, I think it's boiling over already. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I think Favre has a great game against the Giants, and booms. Randy Moss versus the Texans. Well, Randy Moss, the former Minnesota Viking, I think he has a nice game against Houston. He's responded well from that controversial game he had against Carolina, so I think he catches a touchdown and booms for the weekend against the Texans. Cedric Benson versus the Jets. I think the Jets' defense is going to show up uh, when they need it most and slow down Cedric Benson. You know, Rex Ryan's defense is the strength of this team, and if they want to get in the playoffs, they're going to need a great performance up front from that D. So I think Cedric Benson's held in check, and and he's a bust on Sunday. Tony Romo versus the Eagles. I don't think Tony Romo is going to put up great numbers against Philly, but I don't think the Cowboys, uh, I don't think they really need him to put up good numbers. I think they can still win without him having a great game. I think he's a bust, but if the Cowboys defense shows up, it may not matter. Chris Johnson versus the Seahawks. I don't see any way Seattle's defense slows down Chris Johnson. In the past few weeks, the Seahawks have not been able to stop anybody, and I think C.J. runs wild on their defense. He's a boom. Joe Flacco versus the Raiders. Well, the Baltimore Ravens need this game. They need a great performance from Flacco, and I think they get just that from Flacco. I think he steps up big. I think he tosses a few touchdowns over the Oakland Raiders, and he booms this weekend as well. Reggie Bush versus our Panthers. Well, the Panthers' defense has been playing too well to allow Reggie Bush to break out and put up big numbers. I know he's athletic and explosive and one of the most exciting players with the football, but he uh, he won't be this weekend. I think he's a bust against Carolina. Our very own Jonathan Stewart versus the Saints. And Jay Stu is coming off a monster 200-plus yard rushing game, and I expect him to, uh, you know, end the season with a bang and with a boom. I think he uh, plays great against the Saints. The Panthers are going to feed him the rock and give him plenty of opportunities to bounce to that second level and run guys over in the secondary. I think Stewart's a boom this Sunday. Drew Brees versus the Panthers. Well, the Saints have struggled, uh, you know, in the past few weeks, and I think they're going to have to look to their leader to get things back on track. Unfortunately, though, I don't see Drew Brees playing this whole game. I think he plays well when he's in there, but from a statistics standpoint, I don't see him putting up monster numbers. I think he's a bust against the Panthers. Matt Moore versus the Saints. You know, two straight great games for Matt Moore, and I'm starting to sip that Kool-Aid. If he closes the season out, I think he will, uh, you know, like I think he will with a boom. I think for the third straight game, he he closes out great and he puts up good numbers. I think Matt Moore is a boom, and he uh, rides a little momentum into the offseason. Well, as always, Nick, we do appreciate you playing the game with us. Hey, thanks, John. You have searched for the best the Internet can provide. Well, as long as you're here, you may as well stay a while. Welcome back to Cat Crave Radio. 
And welcome back to the preview, the Panther preview, that is. Still with us is Mr. Nick Yeoman. Nick, the Saints are coming to town. I don't think anybody's going to forget that first loss after we had beaten those guys so badly for two quarters and then decide to hand it back in the third and fourth quarters. Wow, is this more payback? Well, I don't know if it's going to be payback because New Orleans officially has wrapped up the one seed. Um, but at the same time, you know what? It's the last game of the season. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of depressing that it's finally here because you and I earlier in the year, you know, when the team was really struggling, it's like, you know, as a fan, you kind of want the end of the season to come near. And now that the Panthers have really turned around and played a great football, uh, it's kind of sad to see, see the season go. But if they can go out with a three-game winning streak, knocking off the Saints, beating three good opponents, then I guess you could call that payback. They paid the Vikings back, they paid the Giants back, and maybe they ought to get the Saints back as well. And, you know, teams are always saying we want to be playing our best football in December and going into January, getting ready for the playoffs. The Saints, frankly, are not playing their best football. And all this talk about Greg Williams and his new defense being installed there in New Orleans, good Lord, Tampa Bay ran all over them in one possession, didn't throw the ball once, wrapped up the game in overtime with a field goal. This looks to me like these guys, especially with our offensive line and whether Williams plays or not. I think Jonathan Stewart's got a chance for a field day against these guys. Yeah, I I think Jonathan Stewart can definitely rack up the yards. I don't understand the whole hype around Greg Williams as well. I know a lot of people build him as one of those guys, you know, like a Norv Turner, you know, maybe not so good of a head coach, but a pretty darn good coordinator. Obviously, Norv Turner's looked out like he's been a pretty darn good head coach, but I don't understand the hype around this New Orleans defense as well. I know earlier in the season, you know, the secondary, they were getting a lot of interceptions, and it was because teams were coming from behind. They had to throw the ball, so the defense was getting some, you know, some cheap interceptions. They turn them into points, uh, but down the stretch, yeah, we have seen the flaws in this New Orleans Saints defense. They maybe peaked a little bit earlier than they should be, and uh, yeah, you mentioned it with the way Tampa Bay ran the ball on on New Orleans. And Tampa Bay does not have a very good rushing game. Uh, Jonathan Stewart and that offensive line, uh, they have to be licking their chops. Now the only question is how many times is Jeff Davidson going to want to throw the ball? Well, we've been upset a time or two this season. I mean, you and I have talked a lot of times. Normally, we, we do most of the, the the real bad talk before we ever get started, but after a loss, you know, fans get frustrated. You're mad at your team. After that Buffalo game, we were all just, I mean, we were livid. Then there are times you win a game like we did against Tampa at home when you just kind of struggle and muddle along and finally win the game, but you're still upset. Well, look at what the Jets got. They got a win over Indianapolis, and that's because... Frankly, the Colts were sitting their starters. No Peyton Manning to face the Jets' defense in the second half. So let's say the Saints come in here knowing they've got the one seed wrapped up thanks to Brett Favre and his meltdown in Chicago. If we get this win, is it an empty win for us? I think it is. I think I think a lot of it, it depends. I mean, if, if the Saints, if they play those starters for a half and they give the Panthers uh, a good effort and the Panthers are still looking good and they outplay the New Orleans starters through a half, then I think you can take a little bit out of it. Uh, but any time you're pulling starters, you know, like you mentioned the Jets-Colts game, that is an empty win. And, and, you know, the Jets, I know they got a lot to play for. They're trying to get into the playoffs. But when you don't have much to play for, like the Panthers, and you're playing for pride, uh, I, I don't think you can take much from a win over a team that rests their starters as good as New Orleans has been this year. And if the Saints do play their starters, I, I know there's a chance they pull them out, like you said, after a half. Maybe that happens. But 
Let's go ahead and look again at our defense, like we don't know these guys already, versus that Saints offense. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's going to be the passing attack of New Orleans if they leave those starters in. That's the wide receivers. you got to cover them up, which means you got to have great play from the corners. Richard Marshall had a great game against the Giants. The break he made on that Eli Manning interception was great. And uh, if New Orleans does choose to run the ball, you got to be strong up front. But it all starts with Drew Brees. I mean, he's the type of quarterback that can he'll change things up at the line of scrimmage, whether, uh, whether whatever you know the defense presents him. So they got to play good, sound football because New Orleans can hurt you in many ways. But like we said, if we see backups, then you just got to go head hunt, and you got to, you know, you got to really take the take the steam out of those second teamers and control the ball uh, on defense. And are we gonna? Well, is our offense going to actually, you know, we're gonna unleash the hounds, if you will, and let Matt Moore uh, loose a little bit and take a look at him in his final chance in '09, or do you think it's just gonna be pound the rock between the tackles? Well, I think if this game meant something and you were trying to get in the playoffs and you really, really needed this win, then you would stick to the running game. You know, you would just run Jonathan Stewart until, you know, Jeff Davidson got tired. But I think in the last game of the season, I do. I want to see Matt Moore air it out a little bit. We've seen some great play from him in the last couple games, good enough play that I think he deserves to at least get an opportunity, uh, maybe be the starter in name only, you know, going into the preseason. If you bring somebody in, then, uh, you know, obviously that'll work its- itself out later in the year, but I think we need to see Matt Moore air it out, and I want to see one more opportunity uh, to see if he's got what it takes, but uh, I think you got to play a balanced attack, too. You can't put too much in his hands, and you got to remember that you got Jonathan Stewart right behind you coming off a monster game, so I think a balanced attack, let Matt Moore air it out, should be a good game plan for Carolina going into this game. Okay, now we've looked at the offense, we've looked at the defense. Let's hear your prediction. Do we get an empty win, or do we end the season below five hundred? you know, I think you get an empty win, and I just don't think New Orleans has much to play for. I know that they need to try to get things back on track. They don't want to head into the playoffs with a three-game losing streak, but I think also they're going to buy into that idea that you got to get some guys rest, you got to get some guys healthy, and the Panthers, they're playing great football, and I know they're going to come out, and they don't care who's the quarterback across the line of scrimmage. They don't care who are the wide receivers, the linebackers. They don't care who they're playing. They're going to go out there and try to send the home crowd out with a good feeling. It's going to be nice to end the season with a three-game winning streak. Even if this is an empty win, I'll remember the wins over the Giants and the Vikings as the really impressive ones, but I think they get a win. I think they pick up the empty win and knock off the Saints 31-21. to Well, Nick, we appreciate you being with us for the preview as always, and uh, hope we can look forward to having you here with us a little later for uh, a Pick'em segment. Yeah, I'd love to, John. Thanks. This is Cat Crave Radio. Joining us now is Rock Hill Herald beat writer Darren Gant. Darren, I got it right this time. I said beat writer. I didn't say columnist. Is that better? Yeah, there's a difference. Although these days columnists are posing as beat writers and vice versa, so it's hard to tell. It's a distinction very few of us care about. Well, it's it's a down economy. People have to, you know, sometimes multitask, you know. Ah! <laughs> well, speaking, certainly do. Certainly do. Speaking of How you tasking, doing, man? Doing great. And um, and speaking of tasking, wow! Now this is uh, this is an interesting development. A um, a report this week says that it's possible if John Fox and Marty Herney want to come back next year, they can. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, my initial thought is I didn't know there was anything happening otherwise. I mean, I, I think to assume that it's 
enormous breaking news that people aren't going to be fired. You had to assume that they were about to be fired anyway, and I don't know that that was ever the case. I know I know for a fact it wasn't the case with Marty Herney. I mean, there was never any danger of Marty being replaced this year um, that, that I was aware of or that anyone had ever suggested to me. So, I mean, I think people naturally worry about John because the head coach is the one who gets fired when things go this way. But the reality is going into a year – you know, basically the last year of football revenue, owners are going to be hesitant to pay two coaches at one time. I mean, especially to write a long-term contract that extends into a time where there might not be football. So I think the fact that John's going into last year of his deal at $6.5 million made it a lot more likely that he was going to hang around, barring some kind of ridiculous, you know, 1998-2001 collapse. And certainly that's not what they've done the last few weeks. So, you know, I think it's... It was no great surprise to me, I guess, uh, you know, in the reporting. But, you know, I mean, hey, people always want to know what the future is of this guy or that guy. So, I mean, I guess it's natural, but I I was never among the group that anticipated this huge house cleaning anyway. Well, I guess I have made it no surprise or no, no shock to anybody if I say that I'm not a big fan of Jeff Davidson and... I know that would probably shock most people when they hear me say it, but as much as I would honestly like to see a change there at the offensive coordinator spot or even potentially, uh, you know, maybe this dude that's uh, helping our special teams or not helping our special teams, um, those changes, as much as we as fans or any fan may want to see, is it realistic to think there'd be any changes considering that John Fox would be coming back with a lame duck status and only on a one-year deal? Well, I, I think that puts John Fox in league with a lot of coaches. I think if you look at it, what happened in Minnesota recently, what happened in Philly with Andy Reid, Brad Childress getting extensions, I think that's going to be the exception far more than the norm around the NFL. I, I don't think you're going to see very many teams write those big extensions for the reasons we just talked about. I mean, uh, aside from a few sweetheart television deals, owners don't know that they're going to have significant revenue coming in in 2011. And they've got a lot of employees other than football players and other than football coaches that they're going to want to look after uh, during that time. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, I just don't, I just don't know how big a deal that honestly is. I mean, you know, a lot of players are going to be on one year contracts next year, just like John Fox. So I, I, I think if he performs next year, you will see that situation taken care of. At the same time, I mean, John Fox sort of gives off, um, I don't know, you could almost describe it as an arrogant vibe, but, I mean, it's a very self-confident vibe. John Fox has never been worried about job security because John Fox is pretty good at what he does. And if Carolina Panthers fired him today, he could have a job pretty quickly, I, I think, and, you know, possibly even in, in the place he just left. So it's, um, you know, I, I think a lot of that stuff's kind of overblown. I don't know how big a factor it honestly is. But, you know, there's going to be change around here. Whether it's coaches or not, there's going to be significant change, and, and there may have already been. I mean, certainly Matt Moore's asserted himself on the quarterback position and I, and I think deserves to be a part of you know, the decision-making going forward, I, I think, and, and I've staked this position out pretty clearly over the course of the season. I think it's too soon to roll Jake DeLong out with the garbage. So, 
you know, maybe you should give him a, an off season to get his head together, collect himself, see if he can go back to being the Jake DeLome of 03 through 08 and not this guy who we saw um, in 2009. I mean, Travell Wharton's got an imposter out there. Maybe that was a Jake DeLome imposter out there for uh, first half of this season. I don't know. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting, and there's going to be a measure of change both at the quarterback position in terms of the decision they make. I mean, the Julius Peppers thing is hanging out there, and that's a pretty significant, you know, that's one big-ticket item you've got to make a decision on before you really proceed because that's going to impact every other decision you make. I know we've seen a lot of injuries, I think 11 guys now, 12, I guess. with And Steve will be 12. Yeah, 12 now on injured reserve. It's been a, a rough year, and I guess the argument can be made that this is John Fox's best coaching job yet uh, because he has at yeah. least gotten them to 7-8 and eight and potentially 8-8. Eight and eight. But right. the players now, and they seem to have this, maybe their focus is on saving John Fox's job. And maybe they're thinking, you know, we really like the guy. He's a player's coach. This is our boss. This is the guy we yeah. want to play for. So if they are doing that, why were they not thinking this after Philly, after Atlanta, after Dallas? I mean, in September, where was that attitude that, you know, let's play for the coach, let's perform for him? You know, where was that? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's so much. I mean, everybody wants to talk about emotion and playing for jobs, and, and that kind of emotional stuff can burn bright for a couple of weeks at a time, but that's not the kind of stuff that su- sustains itself over 16 weeks. And, you know, what derailed them early this season were mistakes, and not just Jake DeLong's mistakes. I mean, we're talking about problems in protection, problems with receivers, problems with the defense early on. I mean, it's awfully convenient to put this all on Jake or John Fox being stubborn or whatever for the first part of the year, but the reality is there were a lot of a lot of things combining on those guys going 0-3, 4-7. And, and, you know, sometimes it takes getting back – into the corner. I mean, you mentioned this maybe being John's best coaching job. If you think back over his career, when you really see the John Fox influence is is in a, in 2002 when you're going from one and fifteen to seven and nine. It's in 2004 when you go from one and seven to seven and nine. It's in 2007 when you go from David Carr, Vinny Testaverde, and Matt Moore to to seven and nine. I mean, that's that's kind of his deal. I mean, he loves. He relishes the challenge. He likes a fight. He's always been a fighter. So the minute it looks ridiculously over, I mean, honestly, John, at four and seven coming off the Jets game, did you think they'd be seven and eight right now? Because I sure did. I mean, I, I saw at that moment, I thought this thing could have easily turned into four and twelve, considering who they were playing coming down the stretch. But they played good football the last month. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with more of Darren Gann of the Rock Hill Herald in just a bit. There's more Cat Crave Radio coming up. The Fansided.com Sports Network. You play to win the game. Where diehard fans dish out nonstop news and views on their favorite teams. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? Fandom has no off-season. So he sucks you guys right in. So consider yourself sucked. Neither do we. If you want to crown them, then crown them. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. It is time again to pick some games. Joining us is Nick Yeoman. Uh, Nick, it's the final week of the regular season. Last week you went 10-6 and six overall for the season. 
you are at 162 and 75. That's good for 68%. Not so bad. Yeah, not so bad at all. And, and, you know, the entire regular season, and we didn't have a losing weekend yet, so hopefully we can close out Week 17 the same way. Let's close it out strong. Let's start with Niners and Rams. Well, I, I don't know who the 49ers paid to end the season with Detroit and now St. Louis, but, boy, they didn't take advantage of it much earlier in the season. I think the 49ers win, though. They start getting ready for those two first-round draft picks. You know, one of them, of course, courtesy of the Carolina Panthers. I think the Niners pick up a win against the Rams. Giants and Vikings. You know, the New York Giants showed absolutely no heart against the Panthers. And Minnesota, of course, trying to, uh, to, you know, get strong for the playoffs. I don't see the Giants putting up much of a fight. Eli and his boys, I think they lose and finish the season at 8-8. Eight and eight. Colts and Bills. Being from Indiana, you would not believe how ticked off some of these Colts fans are about the decision to give up with a slight lead over the New York Jets. I doubt anyone plays against Buffalo. I think the Bills pick up a win in a pretty meaningless game. Jaguars and Browns. The Jacksonville Jaguars are just one of many teams that are vying for the AFC wildcard spots. Uh, They get a suddenly hot Cleveland team, and they need some help to get in. I think the Browns, I think they close out the season strong with a three-game winning streak, and they end the Jaguars' playoffs hopes. Patriots and Texans. Houston, like Jacksonville, has a chance to sneak into the playoffs with a win and some help. Problem is, they are taking on the New England Patriots, who are going to be playing for that three seed. I think Brady and the Patriots walk into Reliant Stadium and walk out with the W. Bengals and Jets. Well, it is win and you're in for the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 but Cincinnati has the third seed in the AFC in their sights like the Patriots do. I think the Jets get in, though. Uh, you know, I think Marvin Lewis seems like he doesn't really care whether his team, you know, plays as a three seed, they play as the four seed, whoever they play in the wild card round, and it might end up just being the Jets. I think New York picks up the win, and they get in the playoffs on Sunday. Falcons and Bucks. You know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are trying to close the season out strong, and Atlanta, of course, trying to cap off a second, the uh, two straight winning seasons for the first time in franchise history. Other than that, this is a meaningless game. I like Atlanta, though, to close out the season with a win, finish at 9-7 and seven, uh, for the year. I mean, it's been a disappointing season, and one that I think Falcons fans are going to think about what could have been, but I think they close out the season with a win. Steelers and Dolphins. Well, the loser sits at home for the playoffs, and the winner, you know, while still being in line, will still need some help. This is a big-time uh, virtual, you know, opening playoff game. I think the Steelers have more big game experience, and I think they get the win over the Fins. Eagles and Cowboys. Well, this is pretty much turned into the NFC East Championship game, and it's in Dallas, so neither team's going to have to battle the elements. Uh, the Cowboys have kind of shook off that whole December struggles label, and they need to shake off the whole Week 17 beatdown that the Eagles gave to them a year ago. I don't see it happening, though. I think the Eagles are the favorite in the NFC, and I think they win in Dallas. Bears and Lions. Well, the Chicago Bears finally showed a little life against Minnesota, and the Lions, who actually have won a few games this year, are still a mess. I'll say Jake Cutler, you know, I think he only throws one interception, and the Bears pick up the W over the Lions to close out the season. Redskins and Chargers. I know the Chargers don't have much to play for, but considering Norv Turner has the hottest team in the league and the Redskins are as bad as they are, I think San Diego wins another game and enters the playoffs on a roll. Titans and Seahawks. The Seahawks have quickly turned into a joke after winning NFC West after NFC West title. I can't really figure it out. The Titans, you know, they came up short. Uh, They're going to come up short for the playoffs, but I do think they pick up the road win against the Seahawks to close out the season after a disastrous start. Chiefs and Broncos. 
I think Denver picks up the win here, but they also need some help in order to get into the playoffs. Because I see the Jets and Ravens both winning, however, I don't think Denver, I think a win's not going to be good enough. They close out with the W over the Chiefs, but I think they missed the playoffs. Boy, they tumbled and, uh, and really crumbled down the stretch. Ravens and Raiders. Well, and Baltimore is in that win. You're in situation. I think they do take advantage of it this Sunday. Oakland could play spoiler, but I think they'll cap off the year uh, with yet another disappointing season with another disappointing loss. Packers and Cardinals. Both of these teams are locked in the playoffs and could end up seeing each other in the wild card round. Uh, because of that, I don't expect to see many starters. Uh, I don't. I don't expect to see much of a game plan, a potential winning game plan for either teams to be unveiled. I'll take the Packers on the road, though, for the win. As usual, the Saints versus our Panthers. Well, I think the Panthers pick up the win. I think the running game's going to come in uh, really strong. Matt Moore's playing some good football, and I don't think the Saints have much to play for. I think we see about a, a quarter and a half from Drew Brees in that offense, that high-powered offense, and I think the Panthers pick up the win. Well, Nick, we do appreciate you picking the games for us, and, uh, of course, as always, we'll continue to keep score. Hey, sounds good, John. Thank you. There are those born to be champions. And then there are these guys. Welcome back to Cat Grave Radio. And we're back. Still with us is Darren Gant, beat writer for the Rock Hill Herald. Darren, we've covered John Fox. We've talked about his future or potential future with the team. i got to get, I guess, down to some of the players. And one of those guys, if there is an enigma we've ever seen with this organization, it's Julius Peppers, uh, an unusual character and has had some up games, some down games this year. Is, is he now satisfied the way we've seen him play the last two weeks? I mean, is he, is he happy now in Carolina, or do you think he's just kind of auditioning for other teams for the offseason? Well, I don't know, and, and partially because Julius is an impossible character to know, and he's made it that way. I mean, if anybody in Charlotte tells you, oh, I know what's in Julius's head, I know what makes that cat tick, those people are lying to you, and, and you should probably avoid loaning them money or anything like that. I mean, Julius is, he's created this sort of persona on purpose, and, you know, they're, the only signals, I mean, you got to kind of read tea leaves, and I was talking to John Beeson the other day about Julius and I asked him point blank, I said, do you think the last couple of weeks, the last month or so, makes a difference in, in the team's ability to retain him? And, and John said, absolutely. I mean, and John Beeson talks to this cat as much as anybody in the building and, you know, has a, a better chance of understanding what makes him tick than anybody. And, and John thinks that there's an opportunity that what Julius wants most of all, and he said this time and again, is to win. And, you know, does he see this is a place now where you can win a championship? Maybe. I mean, does he realize that the Panthers are going to be loath to just let him walk into free agency without getting some kind of comp- or compensation? You know, I think, personally, I think they'd be foolish to let him go. I mean, especially in an uncapped year, you save the $20 million deal, but ultimately, so what? I mean, it, it, would you rather just let the guy walk for nothing as opposed to the risk of paying him $4 million more than you paid him already what, this year? I mean, I just, I don't see letting him go without compensation, but you you know there's going to be a time coming up here in the next couple of weeks where they really sit down and they really see if there's any chance at doing a long-term deal. And if there's not, I think that's where you're going to see something happen along the lines of a tag and trade, the Jared Allen from Kansas City situation. I mean, 
certainly there's a market for Julius. And if that's the route they went, I think if Julius and his side can play along properly, then they could probably facilitate a move. I mean, there's not going to be any shortage of teams that would love to have Julius Peppers. And probably some teams, you know, you talk about an uncapped year, everybody anticipates that there's going to be a couple of teams who are willing to shoot the moon and try to win in an uncapped year. And I think some of those teams are on Julius's mythical list of four. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, there's still places, I think, you know, I thought last offseason and I would think moving forward that the two most likely landed spots would be New England, Philadelphia. Uh, I think those are the big markets he would like to get into. I think they're the kind of teams that uh, attract him. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot to be played out with Julius, but I still think their first, you know, obligation almost is to see if they can get him to hang around because when you look at what the defense has done this year, he's been a big part of it with the pressure they've gotten up front. I mean, over the last month, all the defensive guys say the difference in creating all these turnovers, and it's, you know, 17 in the last five games, 27 in the last nine has been getting the pass rush up front. If you're without Julius Peppers, you're going to have to go to some great lengths to try to replace that. Well, we've got Julius as one of the major questions that has to be answered in this offseason. And there's so many others. We know that we've, we've now we've got to get Smitty back and healthy after his surgery. We've got to maybe try and find somebody either to replace Moose or as a number two who can come in with some speed. There are answers that we're going to be looking for, I would imagine, starting right after the next 60 minutes of football when the offseason begins. And there is a lot to be done, but how much do you think has to be done? How much has to be accomplished to make this roster or this team, let's say, playoff ready? Yeah, well, they've got, I think if you look at it, they've got five starting jobs uh, who are going to, guys who are starting who are going to be unrestricted free agents. you got Julius Tyler Brayton, uh, Kedrick Vincent at right guard, Hollis Thomas, and Moussin. So I think of that club, there are reasonable replacements for Hollis Thomas on hand. I think he was a short-term rental. Uh, I think, you know, the chances of him coming back aren't, I don't want to say remote, but I don't know that he's a priority to re-sign. I think Brayton's easy to re-sign. He's already said he'd be heartbroken if he didn't get a chance to stay. I think you can fill in right guard with Kedrick Benson or somebody like him fairly easily. Uh, the big questions to me are, what do you do with Pep? And if it's not Pep, where do you find that pass rush? And, and what do you do at receiver? I mean... I think there's room here for another fairly significant wide receiver. I mean, it doesn't have to be some guy who just walks in and is completely subordinate to Steve Smith. I think he would probably appreciate it if there was somebody on the other side that could make a play. That was one of the things they were missing early on. And and part of the downfall of Jake, I mean, the guy, you can say the guy has been too dependent on Steve Smith. Well, look what else he's had to throw to this year. And and I think, you know, Moussin, for all the for all the good he's done here over a long term, I mean, it's obvious that this guy's not the same player he was even last season. So you've got to move forward. I mean, as tempting as it might be to say, bring Moose back in a Ricky Prohl kind of role, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you almost need the young legs there. I mean, look at what the Colts did, you know, replacing wholesale some receivers this year. I mean, you let a guy like Peyton Manning throw to him, and the Austin Collies and Pierre Garçons of the world look pretty good. I don't know that no matter who's playing quarterback, you could get that same level here. But at the same time, you know, there needs to be some new blood at that position. I think, 
you know, they've got to think about the depth that, in terms of the pass rush, the depth at wide receiver. Those have to be the first two priorities after they figure out, you know, what they're going to do with Julius and quarterback. If we throw you a couple of agree or disagree, um, I got to start with one, and that is this statement. It makes more sense to bring John Fox back than to try to find a better coach. Uh, I agree with that right now because I think the pool of uh, markedly better coaches is a lot smaller than a lot of people were willing to acknowledge, and I think those guys would be pretty expensive. And as we talked about with the you know, CBA situation being what it is, it, it would be costly to pay John Fox $6.5 million to go away and then write a big check for another coach who may or may not be working the following year. So I think it would be harder than people imagine to find a better John Fox, but I think the next time the Carolina Panthers are looking for a head coach, they'll end up finding another John Fox just the way the Pittsburgh Steelers found another Bill Cowher in Mike Tomlin. And I think that's the pattern you'll see. I mean, it'll be some young up-and-coming defensive assistant. Now, whatever the name attached to that body is, we don't know yet. We'll find out whenever it's time to cross that bridge. But I just think, you know, it's going to be somebody out of the same platform regardless. And finally, agree or disagree, Marty Herney doesn't get enough credit for his draft record. Oh, I, I would agree with that. I mean, Marty probably doesn't get enough credit. I mean, he's not a guy who seeks out credit. But if you look at what they've done, specifically since '06, when Don Gregory arrived on the scene to sort of help out with that process, I mean, even if you look at what these guys have always done is hit on first-round picks. And you can say you should hit on first-round picks. They're first-round talents, but there are a lot of people who don't. And they don't always they don't always work out. So you can't assume it is a given. But if you look at what these guys have done, you know, in the third, fourth, fifth round and down in the last couple of years, I mean, they've got a decent stable of tight ends, including your boy Gary Barnage, you know, all in the fifth round. Uh, Captain Munnerlin was a good piece this year out of a seventh round pick. If you look at Charles Godfrey and Sherrod Martin, a second and third round picks from the last few years, those two are your safeties of the future. I mean, in some combination. And I mean, as well as Chris Harris has played the last few weeks, I think what he played, the way he played the first 10 weeks is maybe more of what you're looking at going forward. I mean, they've got young legs at the safety position. And when's the last time the Carolina Panthers have been able to say that? So, you know, I think he's done a, you know, Marty's done a solid job. The guy's got, he's got a philosophy that isn't popular. He he wants to build through draft. He's not going to go out and spend a bunch of money on whatever name free agent comes up each and every year. You know, he's not looking to sign or go get that quote-unquote franchise quarterback. I mean, that's not his deal, but I think when you look at what the Carolina Panthers have going into next season, I mean, you've got D'Angelo, you've got Jonathan, you've got Jeff Ota, Jordan Gross, Travell Wharton, Ryan Khalil. Regardless of any other decision they make, the Carolina Panthers ought to be able to run the football next year. So, you know, I think that's worth something, and I think the guy's done a pretty good job. It is going to be an interesting uh, few months getting into that minicamp uh, this spring, but uh, we'll have to keep our yeah, eyes peeled. A lot, of, a lot of stuff to happen between now and then, and it is. It's going to be a fascinating offseason, you know, at a number of levels. I mean, just the way the league responds to this whole uncapped year business is going to be fascinating. And then, obviously, those things we talked about with the Panthers. It's going to be, you know, I don't know how much rest I'm going to get this offseason because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts, but... Uh, it is going to be curious to see how these chips fall. Yeah, we're going to lock you in town. We're not going to let you leave. 
<laughs> does that make me a restricted free agent, John? I don't get to test the market. I suppose it does. I suppose you, yeah, you. We have to, uh, we have to mark you. You're on the, um, you're on the watch list. You know, so keep a- that. am I the Cat Crave Radio franchise player, John? Is yeah. that the thing? Are you going to guarantee me a top five salary? Well, we can't do the, you know, we can't do a, a, a real big number. We're, we'll have to, we'll have to negotiate this. We'll, uh, we'll talk yeah, this out. Let me get my agent on the phone with you. <laughs> All right, sounds good to me. Well, Darren, again, we uh, we do appreciate you being with us once again. Anytime, John, and Happy New Year, buddy. I want to thank all of you for listening. You know, this has been a great year for us. Okay, maybe not so great for the team, but with all of you out there listening each week, it has made 2009 worthwhile for me. Each week, it's been a pleasure to produce this show, but knowing that you're out there listening, well, that's why we do this. I hope you all had a great 2009. And here is to an even bigger year, a prosperous, happy, and healthy 2010 to you and yours. My thanks again to Darren Gant for being with us. Darren's work can be found in the Rock Hill Herald. And as always, my appreciation to Nick Yeoman for adding some awesomeness to the show. Nick, it would be impossible to do this show each week without you. You the man. And for all you folks out there that check out YouTube... Check out Nick while you're over there. You can find him by looking up Big Nick 2700. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Leave a review while you're there. And give us a follow on Twitter. You know, if you do, we'll follow you back. We cool like that. We can be found at twitter.com slash catcraveradio. And the CCR hotline is always open. Give us a shout at 206-350-9673 and leave a message. I'm John White. Thanks again for listening. We hope to be back inside of your listening device once again next week, or should we say next year, with another edition of Cat Crave Radio. In a world dominated by media giants and conglomerates, there is a little show that dares to reach for greatness. And we promise to keep reaching as long as there's someone listening. Never fear, CCR will return. Your Panthers crew will return in one week with another assault on the World Wide Web. All material, copyright 2009, Cat Crave Radio. Stand and cheer for the Panthers in our grand old name.